Well, good afternoon. Let me, uh, if you're a visitor here, uh, repeat Jonty's welcome. My name's Trevor Archer. I'm one of the members here. It's my joy this afternoon to be able to share God's uh, word with you, uh, whether you're at home or whether you're here or upstairs. It's great that we can be together. Uh, either in your Bible or on your tablet, wherever, please turn back to Psalm 117 that we're going to look at this afternoon. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is ever-living, ever-active, ever-relevant. We pray this afternoon, by your spirit, you would write your word upon our minds and our hearts, and indeed into our lives. Hear our prayer, Lord, and be with us now, we ask. Amen. Well, I know of uh, one young woman here at the Globe who is using this time of uh, shutdown to uh, memorise great portions of the scripture. That's a brilliant thing to do, isn't it? I thought we could actually all do that, uh, but to make it relatively easy, we're going to start with this psalm, Psalm 117. It's actually the shortest psalm in the Psalms, the shortest chapter in the Bible. And uh, somebody has worked out that it's at the very centre of the Bible, literally, uh, in terms of number of words before, number of words after, this is the centre point of the Bible. I don't know who works those kind of things out, but that's what we're told. But it's entirely appropriate that it is, if that's the case, because it actually takes us to the Bible DNA, the kind of core of the Bible message for us. It's encapsulated in these two verses. I don't know if you picked it up, but it's quoted by the Apostle Paul there in Romans 15 to show how within these few words is both the promise of a Messiah, but also the call upon God's people to be uh, a missionary community. So it's a messianic and it's a, a missionary psalm together. Notice there in verse 1, it's talking about this is for all the nations and all peoples. So if we can grasp the message of this psalm, and we can grasp the two vital truths, that the immensity of God's love and the response of God's people, it will enable us to remember the very core heart of what God is about and what we are to be about as his people. Here on earth. Here it is. Let's read the psalm again. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Let's look firstly at the second verse about the enormity of God's love, how God loves his people. Very simple, really, just a few words. Notice, firstly, he loves us personally for great is his love towards us this whole universe the whole of life came into being by a word of power from this God and you and I are amongst millions of people who over the course of history will populate this planet we live moment by moment in daily dependence upon him. Our very next breath is granted by the Lord. And Paul reminds us in the book of Acts that he decrees the place of our birth, the place of our death, and all the days that are ordained for us in between. 
Such is his majestic power. And yet, this is the remarkable thing. That he doesn't see us just as one glob of humanity. He sees us individually. The almighty God sees even transient little me. You see, God takes his creation absolutely seriously. And that's because we're reminded that we are made in his image. We're not a chance happening. We're not a random result of some atoms getting together. We are created, says the Bible, in the image of God. Crafted in his image. He loves us personally. Great is his love toward us. We see that most clearly, of course, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to earth and the way he seeks out individuals. Do you remember that woman at the well that we read of in John chapter 4? And how she ran off, gathered her friends, her neighbours who were normally shunning her and say, come, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Not all of that was very good, was it? But she was overwhelmed by the personal knowledge of this man for her. Or what about the calling of the disciples? What about that time when Philip goes and, goes and brings Nathaniel? And Nathaniel says, oh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see, he says. And even as he comes, Jesus says to him, I saw you while you were sitting under that tree. And he's naturally gobsmacked. You and I would be. But here's a God who knows us intimately. Why? Because the scriptures remind us, he knit us together in our mother's womb. Who are the us here? It's the people of God, those who know him personally, those who know his love, those who, having come to Christ in repentance and faith in Jesus, have been brought into his family, in the Old Testament, into Israel, in the New Testament, the new Israel. And this is the wonderful thing about this psalm because it's looking forward to the breadth of that community. It's not simply about one ethnic community. It's about every tribe, every nation, all the people groups on the face of the earth. And it's all here in embryonic form in these verses. Here's a God who loves us personally, whether Gentile or Jew. But notice also, he loves us greatly, for great is his love towards us. Now, great is one of those words that's kind of got devalued, a bit like awesome has got devalued. We talk things about being, oh, that's awesome. Actually, only God is awesome. There's only one awesome person in the universe, and that's God. And the acts of God are awesome. And here the word is, is great. Great is his love towards us and it carries with it this word the meaning of being vigorous and formidable a love that overcomes all the hurdles that are placed in front of it it's unstoppable it's invincible it can be translated as prevailing prevailing love do you remember that story about Moses and uh, the children of Israel on their way to the promised land and as they were engaged in a battle how Moses was told to stand on the hillside overseeing the battle and he had two assistants holding up his arms in prayer and it's, we're told that whilst Moses prayed, Israel prevailed, they grated, they, they won the battle. 
as soon as his arms became weary, the things went against them. But this is the sense of this word. God's love is a prevailing love. It's a prevailing love. He loves us greatly. We see the immensity of that love, of course, when we come into the New Testament. We come to the Lord Jesus. And we see how this God's love is so great. Greater love has no man than this, says the Lord Jesus, that he lays down his life for his friends. But here's the amazing thing. God laid down his life for his enemies, for people who by nature go our own way, tell God to shove off, say, yeah, we'll take your gifts, but we don't want you the giver. Here's the greatness, the prevailingness of God's love. It's overwhelming when you think about it. He pursues us. If you're a Christian, you know that, don't you? You know how you were living, you didn't want God, but God brought a Christian into your life. Somebody who lived the gospel, spoke the gospel, maybe read the Bible with you, prayed for you. That was an aspect of God's prevailing love, his greatness, and he brought, himself, brought you to himself. God loves us personally. He loves us greatly, awesomely. But also notice he loves us faithfully. For great is his love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. In other words, God keeps his promise. He keeps them whatever the provocation, whatever the cost. And as we trace the unfolding story of the Bible from Genesis onwards, we see that God makes promises. He makes promises to Adam and Eve, and even in the midst of their rejection, that he would send a seed of the woman who would turn it around and restore a new humanity and ultimately a new heaven, a new earth. We only understand that, of course, as we read to the end of the Bible. But here's, here's God at work, and it's all in a promise. Now, we make our promises, and we do them often in good faith. But you and I know that, ultimately, there are things that can stop us keeping our promise. Circumstances overwhelm us. Things change. Nothing stops God keeping his promise. In fact, we're reminded in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul that he says it like this. In Jesus Christ, all the promises of God are yea and amen, alpha and omega, beginning and end. They're unstoppable. God has made a promise. Now, I'm of that uh, day and generation that uh, loved watching Mastermind. Uh, this, at this point, I lose most of you, but stay with me, please. Mastermind, you see, was this quiz show, and the original quiz show uh, was with a guy called Magnus Magnuson, and it captured a catchphrase because the, the deal of the show is four contestants come on and they do a specialised subject and then for a minute and then they come back or two and then they come back for two minutes general knowledge. And this is where you realise how little you know about general knowledge. But nevertheless, there they are in the chair and the, the light is bearing down upon them and the clock is ticking and Magnus is pestering them with these questions and trying to get as many as possible. And then he's into the last question and then the buzzer goes. But he says at that point, I've started, so I'll 
finish. Thanks, John T. At least somebody near my generation, albeit 25 years away. But I've started, so I'll finish. That's exactly like it is with God. I've started, so I'll finish. Nothing's going to stop me. This prevailing love of mine is unstoppable because of my faithfulness. My faithfulness reaches to the heavens. It's immeasurable. It's unfathomable. This is the nature of God in his love for his people. And it's a faithfulness. And this is what was so hard, even for the disciples to catch on to, that was far beyond Israel. That's why Paul in Romans 15 quotes this very psalm and makes the point yet again, as indeed much of Romans is about, it's about this gospel being for the whole world, not just for one particular ethnic group. His faithfulness to his promise means it's going to go far beyond the boundaries of Israel into all the world. And then fourthly, this love is everlasting. It's a forever love. For great is his love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures, there it is, forever. Now, I don't know if you've noticed how many songs carry this theme of eternal, everlasting love. And at this point, it's a big risk, this, because my illustrations are always rooted in the 1960s, and people look at me with blank faces, so, but just bear with me, eh? So, for instance, if you think of a song, let, let's try this. I tried this earlier with, uh, with a few people to try and get a bit of interaction, but I was met with a, a blank void, really. But anyway, can you think of a song? Put it this way, can you think of a song? You're at home. Can you think of a song that's about everlasting love well what about Johnny Mathis here's where I get the blank looks until the 12th of never you ask how much I love you until the 12th of never or what about Robert Knight and everlasting love in the 80s we're really getting modern now in the 1980s here I stand with my everlasting love no okay well Surely, Stevie Wonder, you've got to come with Stevie, yeah? I'll be loving you always until the sun. Do, 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 do. Yeah, and now I've got Kimberly. She's with me. Yeah, there you go. You see, these songs are about it. I had a chance, Val and I were having lunch. I went on Google, and um, there is a song by Whitney Houston called Eternal Love. Eternal Love. There you go. All these songs. Now, there's a serious thing to this. What is it within us as human beings where we have this deep, deep instinct about everlastingness? Why do we find the thought of our own demise, the thought of our own death, as somehow not a final thing? Why is it that people who aren't particularly religious and certainly not Christian invariably in the face of a loss of a loved one, grasp, well, they're in a better place now. Well, how do you know that? On what basis? What's the facts for that? You see, God has planted eternity in the heart of mankind. That's what the Bible says. We are made by God, for God, forever. And nothing can eradicate that. God has planted it there. 
Nothing can uproot that. That's why we have this longing for an eternal love. But the only place to find it is here, in the God who is eternal love. He, he alone can provide that. Not even the best of human beings, the people we love the most, can provide us with an eternal love, a love that will transcend the grave. Only God. And here's the God of the universe. Here's the God of creation. Here's the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he points us to himself. Great is his love towards us. It's an everlasting, faithful, forever love. Now if we know that in Christ... We know the greatest truth in all the world, but not simply about knowing it, it's experiencing it, isn't it? We are the most privileged people in all the world. If in God's mercy, he has overcome our rebellion, our waywardness, our willfulness, our sin, our pride. If he's so committed to doing that, that he sent his very best, his son, to die on the cross, to win us, to pay for our rebellion, but to win us for himself. If that is us, there is no greater privilege in the earth. No amount of money, no amount of education, no amount of anything compares to that. And if we grasp that, if God writes that on our hearts and writes it every day on our hearts, and reminds us that we are loved greatly and personally and faithfully and everlastingly. Well, what's the response to that? Well, the psalmist tells us in verse 1. Here's the response. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you people. You see, this is how God's people respond. In a word, praise Praise isn't just what we do when we come together on a Sunday, when we can sing. It's much bigger and broader than that, as I'm sure you know. Praise is setting everything in our life in its rightful place under God. It's recognizing that there's not one aspect or avenue or room in our life that is not under his control Praise is to recognize that God is a good God. Yeah, we find it easier to praise God when the sun is shining. But here's a God who shines most brightly in the dark times. And this is the testimony, I'm sure, of many in this room and many at home and many Christians down through the ages. That you only understand the nature of how profound and faithful the love of God is in the dark times when the clouds and the thunderstorms come and it seems black. But at that point, God is holding us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when you come through that, and when you understand that, the response is that of praise. You see, this is at the heart, actually, of evangelism. Now, if you're anything like me, the mere word evangelism kind of makes my heart go a bit cold and sink because I'm just so poor at it. And if you're like me, I kind of think of a, 
something I should have said about two hours after the conversation. So understand where I'm coming from. But you know this. If you've got good news, then you can't but share it. Where Van and I live, just down the bottom of the road, there's, there's a delightful little supermarket. And the guy who runs that has the wonderful name of Yogi. And uh, Yogi we've got to know over the years. And anyway, a little while ago, when our first grandchild was born, I went in there. He said, Trevor, how are you today? Ah, oh, Yogi, it's marvellous. We've just had our first grandchild, little boy. They've named him Ollie. I know, said Yogi. Your wife was in here half an hour ago telling me. <laughs> you see, if you've got good news, you can't help but tell it. That's the case, isn't it? Think of, think of the last bit of good news you had. What did you do with it? You just couldn't keep it yourself. You had to text somebody, you had to ring somebody, you had to speak to somebody. It's good news. Friends, here's the greatest news in all the world. That God's love is there for everybody. That God's love is available to us in the Lord Jesus. That we can be forgiven. We can be reconciled. We can know his cleansing. And we can walk with him day by day. Knowing that as we walk through life, it isn't the end of the story. It's but the preparation. The Bible loves to use the imagery of the church being the bride of Christ. But actually, the wedding's a little way off. The wedding isn't till the end of time. Now is the period of engagement. And it's a wonderful time, a period of engagement. Has its few stresses, I guess, as well. But it's a delightful time. It's the anticipation. How many... Uh, Couples have said to Val and I, we just can't wait because we don't want to stop saying goodnight to each other. We want to be able to say goodnight and be together. This time for the church is that time. C.S. Lewis called it the shadow lands. We live in the shadow lands. We have a promise and that promise is unshakable and unbreakable. It's firm and certain and sure. But it's not yet. We have a down payment. Right now we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We have the word of God that can cheer us and guide us and draw us to God day by day. We have his spirit guiding us through this pilgrim journey. But it's all towards that great day of the Lord. That great day of Christ. That great day when the bridegroom will come for the bride. That's what our journey is about. And this psalm, you see, just simply talks about if that is reality for us, then we will want to share that good news. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Not out of duty, but out of delight. Because it's good news. There's no other news like this in all the world. It's incomparable that this great God of heaven should so love me greatly and personally and faithfully and eternally that he should send his very best, his son, to die for me, to win me for himself. There's no better news than that. And it redounds to the praise of God when we speak of him to others. That's what evangelism is, isn't it? What most glorifies God? It's when men and women, boys and girls, come to trust Christ. 
There's no greater miracle than that in the world. It takes all the power of God that brought Christ again from the dead to bring that about. If you're a Christian, you're a walking miracle because God has done that in your life. He exerted that resurrection power. Such was his love for you, for us, for the people of God. And that's so enormous in its scope because one day there will be people from every tribe, every nation, millions of people gathered around and before the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, to praise him forever. But in the meantime, what we're called to do is simply make him known. As we journey on, as opportunities come, as they will, this week, even in the kind of closures that we face, opportunities to share our faith, opportunities to say, hmm, that's interesting, tell me why you believe that. Opportunities graciously and gently to talk about the Lord Jesus and to point others to him. See, if we know the love of God, that's got to overflow from us. And the best way we love other people is to point them to the Saviour. May God give us grace to do that. And if today you're here, you're not yet a Christian, or you're watching at home, you're not yet a Christian, this is the marvellous news, the wonderful news, the incomparable news. You'll hear it nowhere else. It's here. The love of God revealed in Christ for you. And if he's been knocking at your door, if he's been pursuing, if he's brought a Christian in your life, it may be annoying you at one level. It did me before I became a Christian. And yet at the same time, I could see in the authenticity and, and the reality of that person's life, not perfection, but just authenticity, that God used that to draw me to Christ and this wonderful message of sins forgiven and life everlasting. Let's pray before we have communion together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this afternoon for all your love and your mercy to us. It's, it's just beyond words. It's beyond telling. We thank you that a day is coming when we'll have the liberty of the children of God to really praise you and thank you as we want to and as we ought to. But in the meantime, Lord, please be with us. Be with us in this coming week that we might reflect, as we've been encouraged to do earlier on in our time together, to take time each day to reflect and meditate upon your mercy, the immensity of such we will never be able to plumb. It's like an ocean, vast as an ocean. And Lord, as we do that, may it lead us to praise you, not simply personally, but in the way that we live and in the way that we speak, in the way that we act, in the way that we use all of our life for your glory. Lord, we're so weak and frail and often failing in that, but thank you for your prevailing love that you've said, I've begun a work and I will bring it to completion. Lord, thank you for that. Bless us now as we gather uh, to remember the death of your, your son, the Lord Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.